week three of our series, Fresh Start. Week three of our series. Week one, we talked about kind of our vision for what it means to be a Jesus follower. Uh, we, we used this passage from the Gospel of John that's where Jesus himself says, I came down to earth so that everyone would have a full life. And so this entire series, the, the next three weeks, this being the third week of four, is us trying to figure out what on earth that means. And so what we've actually been doing is we have been bringing up our core values as a way to figure out what this full life could possibly be. And so last week, in week two of our series, we talked about how everyone matters. And we talked about our very first core value here at Reachway Church, that everyone matters. We believe that God created everyone and loves everyone equally And so therefore, we will live as though that's actually true. So we will believe that every single person on planet Earth has a purpose and has value and has something that they can contribute to the larger thing that we call life. And today we're going to be talking about our second core value. But before we get there, I want to give the why behind this series. And maybe you're sick of me talking about this. I really like actually talking about this. Um, why we're even talking about a fresh start in the first place is we, so we believe that some things have been made possible that wouldn't have otherwise been made possible by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe that there are actual implications to the fact that Jesus rose from the grave, that the tomb is now empty. One of those things is that we believe that life here on earth right now can be made new. And we believe that even though we have been born, that somehow, some way, there could be an opportunity where we could perhaps be born again here on earth where our life actually changes, where restoration in the areas of brokenness in our lives actually get healed, where that restoration actually takes place. We believe that the old things in our lives, the the pasts that we're ashamed of, or maybe the habits that we used to have that we don't want to have anymore or don't have anymore, we believe that all of the baggage from those things, those old things, can pass away, and we believe that new things and new realities can be laid out and revealed before us. We believe that this is made possible because of the resurrection of Jesus. We believe that there's a whole other way of life, we've already kind of talked about it this morning, that we can live in on earth. We understand that there are ways of living. There are different paths and trajectories, different ways that we can think. We believe that there is a way that we can think as people who are following Jesus and trying to figure out more about him and his love for us. We believe that there is a, another almost world that is forming on this world, in this world, and that is the kingdom of God, where the priorities of Jesus are prioritized and where the way of Jesus is lived out by the people who claim to follow him. And so we believe that anyone can kind of enter into this new way of life if, if they would kind of get themselves to a couple of different places internally, because change has got to happen here in the heart before it happens out here. Well, I think you would agree with that. So we need to get to a couple of places in our hearts, and the, and the first place is the way that I am living right now is probably not the best way for me. And, and this is a decision that I think we all make Those who have already chosen to follow Christ, I think you've made that decision definitively for the first time in your life. But I also think that this is a decision that we might need to make all the time. 
and perhaps there's a certain vein of our lives or there's a certain path of our lives, maybe it's this decision or this habit that we also need to rethink. So the first place that we need to get to in our hearts is maybe I'm not living the best life, the fullest life that God, the one who created me, wants me to be living. The second place that we need to get to is making an actual decision to turn away from that thing. Whether it's a whole entire way of life or whether it's a relationship I shouldn't be in, a habit I shouldn't be doing, or a decision to actively not do what I think I need to be doing. And we need to be turning away from that thinking in order for us to go on this path that, that Jesus is laying out for us. There's one verse of scripture that lays all of this out. We read it last week. I'd like to read it again. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. These are words from the Apostle Paul to us this morning. And so this entire series, we have been attaching with it the tagline, it's time for something new. Because we believe that it is time for something new for anyone who would be following Christ. So, last week, if you were here, we looked at a story about Peter and Cornelius. We looked at the book of Acts and we looked at this story of two people who grew up in two completely different ways. One of them perhaps is a product of the military and another one of them a product of uh, being discipled by Jesus himself. <laughs> and they have this interaction together where Peter, who was a Jew and would, would abide by Jewish laws, has an interaction with Cornelius who would not abide by Jewish laws. But what, they, what neither of them knew was that God was working behind the scenes in both of their lives so that probably one of the biggest bridges that we read about in Scripture can actually be formed. It's that God is making a bridge between relationships between Jews and Gentiles, or another way of saying that for us today is people who are choosing to follow Jesus and people who are not yet choosing to follow Jesus. This bridge is formed, and we read that. We take the words that Peter says where he says, I now realize that God does not show favoritism. These foundational principles to what it means to be a Jesus follower. And we create core value number one, and I'd like to show it again. I'd actually like to read it out loud together. Um, everyone matters. Would you read this with me? We believe that God created everyone and loves us all with an equal love. We will live out the truth that everyone has a purpose, everyone can grow, and everyone can contribute. We're seeing this in the book of Acts. We believe that we can see it in our world today. So today we're going to be talking about our second core value, and we're going to be looking at a story in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to follow along with us today. Matthew chapter 14 is where we're going to be. If you don't have your own Bible but would like to follow along with us, by one of the chair backs um, in front of you, there's a Bible kind of by your feet there. 
If you'd like to follow along with us, we're going to be on page 1,524, 1524. And if you do not have your own Bible, the Bible that you are now holding and following along with us is our gift to you. There's a sticker in there that you can write your name on it, write the date, whatever you'd like to do. That is your Bible. Take that home with you um, and use that as you will. But we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. I want to talk about what the Gospels are in the first place. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the four Gospel accounts. And those four books, which kick off the New Testament, they all talk about Jesus' life. When Jesus was actually on earth, teaching people, leading people, what he eventually um, would be arrested and died on the cross and rose from the grave. Written by four different people, written at different times, roughly, I mean closer together, but written at different times, so they weren't all in a room, right, and saying, well, what are you going to write down? Well, what are you going to write down? I'll write down this and you write down that. That's not how it went. So what that actually results in is that we read Four different books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are all about Jesus, but they all talk about Jesus differently. And if you're familiar with the scriptures at all, you might realize that there are some stories in Matthew that aren't in Luke, or there is a story in Mark and John, but not in the other two. You you can imagine the combinations there. The story that we're going to be looking at today is generally referred to as Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus feeding this large crowd of people is the only story that is accounted for in all four Gospels. They all touch on Jesus' birth. They all touch on his death and, and him being arrested and him leaving the tomb. But there is only one parable that is so closely brought with all four Gospels. And it's this one. And so it would be worth looking at. Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 13. I'd like to read this, and I think our words are going to be on the screen as well. So let's look at this story together. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it is already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus said, Bring them here to me. He directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. That's our story, and if you've been in and out of church for a while, then you've heard it before. So I'd like to talk about it again. Um, I want to pick out a few things to note before we kind of just talk about what I'd like us to talk about today. The first one to note 
Um, you notice that very first sentence where it says, when Jesus heard what had happened. Um, what that thing that he heard was, is that his friend, John the Baptist, had died. He had been killed. Um, so you can imagine that if one of your good friends dies, and really what we find in Scripture is one of the biggest supporters of your ministry passes away, you would be sad, right? And you would perhaps want to be alone to kind of deal with that appropriately and faithfully. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He hears that John the Baptist was killed, and so he grabs a boat, and he tries to get some, uh, some quiet time, right? Tries to get some quiet time. Well, we read soon on that the crowds heard about that. Jesus was building up a reputation from town to town, and they knew that he was on the move, and so people, as we read, flocked after him. We read that thousands of people were following him. This is the second thing that I want to note here, and maybe you picked up on it, maybe you didn't. It's that as soon as he saw the thousands of people that were trying to interrupt his quiet time, did you notice that word? He had compassion. That was the knee-jerk reaction of someone who was mourning the death of their best friend, is compassion and nothing else. Not, why are you bugging me? (laughs) Not, again, (laughs) Jesus' knee-jerk reaction in a moment of heartache and sorrow was compassion. Something worth noting. And that last verse, this is the third thing I want to note, that last verse of that entire story where it talks about the crowd size, I, I want to show you this picture here. I want to show you this picture of the Civic Center Arena. So this is where Bradley men's basketball plays. This is where um, the hockey team plays. This is where concerts happen, uh, stuff like that. The, the arena of the Civic Center can seat about 10,000 or so people. So if that was full, if that arena was full, and it looks like there's some empty seating, but for the most part, that's a full house. We've got about 10,000 people. The reason I bring up this picture is because we can have a good guess to believe that the actual crowd size that had followed Jesus, 5,000 men, but the only way a man got there is if a woman helped him get there. So there were women there. And if the man and the wife happened to have kids, then there were anywhere from 10 to 15. True, I, th- I think we can say that. I don't think it was 100,000 people, but I think we can say it was 10 to 15,000 people, 5,000 men, plus women and children. So that kind of changes things. Jesus actually feeds 10 to 15,000 people, um, or that's how many people get fed here. And if you're asking this question along with me, then you're in a good spot because this is how we're going to, this is what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time, is how on earth did all of those people get fed? How, how on earth did all of the people in the Bradley or the uh, Civic Center arena get fed? So I want to talk about what we have to do when we approach the scriptures. We kind of just did that with those three points. When I brought up those three points about what Jesus heard had happened, Um, how he addressed them with compassion, and figuring out what the actual crowd size is. Those are three examples of approaching what often a lot of scriptures are, which is mysterious. There is actually a lot of mystery going on in the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. The first of which is, 
It's more than 5,000. <laughs> so there's already some work that needs to be done. A lot of times we call that work interpretation. You may or may not be familiar with this concept of interpreting Scripture and actually asking certain questions to figure out what is actually being said in the Scripture. I ask this question to you all. Have you ever been reading your Scripture, your Bible, and felt that some really key details were missing? Have you ever felt that? Did that bother you? <laughs> Did that annoy you? The work of interpretation is filling in the missing pieces. Now, a key note here, it's not so much the idea of people get in a room and fill in the missing pieces and say, this is now gospel truth. But what was actually done when these scriptures weren't readily available is that someone would read a copy of Matthew chapter 14 aloud to an entire church. Let's say a hundred people. One person has one copy of that scripture, reads it out loud, and that group of a hundred people just talk about it for like two hours. That's how people interpreted scripture. They asked certain questions. Well, what does this mean? Or, or what about this? How, how do we think this went? And so the people in that room are able to faithfully think back on what they believe to be true, what they have heard before, and they're able to get their heads together and say things like, well, an important piece of this story is that there were 10,000 people there, not 5,000. Or a part, a, an important piece of this story is that Jesus is acting with compassion, even though he just heard that his best friend died. That is the act of compassion. That's the act of interpretation. So I want to talk about just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> and then we're going to do some interpretive work together. This story gives us facts. Jesus had five loaves and two fish at his disposal. That is fact number one. Fact number two, he gave thanks for them. Fact number three, 10,000 people ate until they were full. And fact number four, there were leftovers. That's all we get. If we were to bullet point out that story... We get four facts. He had five loaves, two fish. He prayed for them. 10,000 people ate until they were full, and there were leftovers. This is what the story does not say, which I think a lot of people wish it did. Jesus gave thanks to God for the food, and the loaves of bread became the size of castles. <laughs> and the two fish became the size of whales, and they happen to be cooked. I think that's what we wish it said, right? Because how on earth does five loaves and two fish become a full, a full meal for ten to 15,000 people? That's a logical question to ask. How on earth did all of these people get all of that food? I want us to dig a little deeper, do some more interpretive work, there were other things that we know about the story as well. People traveled from the towns, which means that people left their homes in the town and journey to be with Jesus. We know that because it says that. Another thing that it says in the story is, as evening approached, 
which means that the people who left the towns to follow Jesus had every intention of staying with Jesus as long as they possibly could. Otherwise, they would have left, right? They would have left the place because it was getting dark. This crowd had zero intentions of leaving. Otherwise, they would have left. So people traveled from their towns. They, they knew the journey that they were going on. Evening was approaching, which means that when they left the town, they knew they were in this for the long haul. So here's a question. If you, you, were traveling by foot, keep this in mind, by foot, out of town, and you knew that you would be gone for a lot of the day with your family, what is something that you would bring with you? Food. Seth needs an emergency granola bar now, and again, I've made that joke here before. People are traveling from the towns, evening approached. We probably would have brought food, right? Let's bring this picture back up again of the Bradley Arena, the Civic Center Arena that Bradley men play at, basketball. So here's the scene. It's dark out. You're sitting in just one of the 10,000 seats in this arena. You see the people on the court? Let's say there's 12 of them. Ten players and two refs, that's 12. Let's say there's 13, three refs. You see 13 people at center court talk about how they're going to feed everyone. And you can hear it. And what you see them do is they take every ounce of food that they have. Put it in a little pot, right? pool it together. Jesus thanks God for what they have and says, all right, 12, go feed all those people. I think this is what you would notice. There's a couple of people, maybe you're in row Z, you got a couple people in row A because they can afford those good seats. And, and you see a couple of people up there what do they do? They reach into their bag because they brought food with them. Because they left the towns. They knew they were going to be gone all day. Family was with them. So they brought bread with them. With them. They brought fish with them. And after a couple of those people do it, a couple of people see them, and, and then they start reaching into their bag. Is anyone with me? And all of a sudden, a room of 10,000 people are offering up what they can so that everyone can eat. And you can imagine this wave. If, if, you're, if you've ever been in a room and People need to open a packet or open a bag, and, and they're given permission to that. You know how the waves, just like the rustling, like everyone's playing with their candy at the same time. Everyone's playing with their chip bag at the same time. Everyone's reaching into their bag at the same time, grabbing bread, tearing it off, giving it to their family. Maybe they got leftovers and giving some to people over here that might not have enough. And all of a sudden, everyone is fed, 
and there are leftovers. So I want to ask this question. When was the last time you didn't feel like you had enough to offer? When you recognized the need, but you couldn't match it. When you know what's needed, you know what's needed, but you can't provide it. For some reason or another, what you had to offer was just never good enough for that person or, or that employer or that friend or, or that family member. This is an absolutely real feeling. And depending on who we listen to, we might feel like if our little isn't enough, then it is just absolutely worthless. Depending on who you listen to, depending on who's talking to you, depending on who's speaking life into you. Because do we not live in a go big or go home kind of culture? Do we not live in a, if you can't provide everything right up front, then don't even try? Do we not live in that kind of a world where you must have it all or you don't have a shot? Uh, Maybe you've heard the phrase, if you're not first, you're last. (laughs) This is the kind of world that we live in. But this is what I want us to see. I want us to see differently because I want us to be people that are trying to think and live differently. This is what we see. I'd like to bring up a list here. Is that Jesus is willing to give everything he had. I just want us to see these things. These are things that we know about the story. Is that Jesus is willing to give everything he had. All of their food was given. Another thing that we see is people going all in with what they had. We see people reaching into their bags, going into their snacks that they brought for the journey, and they're going all in with what they have. Could you imagine what you might be thinking reaching into your own bag, knowing that you only have one loaf of bread, saying, it might not be a lot of food, but it can feed my family and one other person. Imagine if they looked into their bag, they saw the 10,000 people, and they said, well, I don't have nearly enough to feed the 10,000. No, they didn't didn't think that way. They said, it might not be a lot, but it can do something, and I'll go all in with it. We also noticed that others noticed and got involved. It took someone to say, well, if they're going to go all in with all their food, then I'm going to go all in with all of mine. And then everyone else noticed too. And a lot gets done with only a little. And I put that in quotes because we need to redefine what a little even is. And brothers and sisters, I think what we need to do is redefine value. I think that's something that Reachway Church and and other churches, people who would say that they're following Jesus and desire to live in the kingdom of God where there's a new way of thinking and a new way of living, I think we are called to redefine what is valuable. I think we are called to redefine what is worth it or what is worth sharing or worth giving. And so we look at this story, just like we looked at last week's story, and just like we did last week, we create this core value. So we look at this story and others like it in Scripture 
falling back on what we believe to be true about Jesus and about God and the kingdom of God and what it means to be a Christ follower, and we think of core value number two, which is going all in. I would like us to read this together, if we could. We believe that God has given us all something to offer, even if it doesn't seem like a lot. We will generously give our time and our resources to help others. This is exactly what is going on in the story of Jesus feeding the 10 to 15,000. Is believing that God has given us all something, and regardless of if we think it's a lot or not, we give it. And we give it to help others. We're using this value, we're using everyone matters, we're using our third core value, which we're going to talk about next week. And once again, we are using these values to help frame what we believe it means to live the full life that Jesus came down to earth to offer us. And I think we can make a few conclusions this morning. Part of living the full life that God desires for us to live is, hear these, knowing that what you have to offer matters. It's knowing that God can do anything with anything. I like that one. God can do anything with anything. Part of living the full life that God desires for us to live is believing that there is value in what you and other people have to offer. And that God does provide what we lack. A sub-point to that last one. God does provide what we lack. What we learn in that story is that sometimes that provision comes from other people. Sometimes God has placed actual people in your life to be the provision. And I would put another point under that point, under that point is that there are sometimes areas in our lives where we are called to be the provision for others. And we need to step into and fill those spaces faithfully. That's another sermon for another day. So we begin to experience the life to the full that God has designed for us when we go all in with what we have. And so once again, we say today, it is time for a new way. It is time for a new way of thinking. It is time for something new. So we're going to enter into our moment of response like we always do here. I hope you look forward to these times. I really do. So I want to ask some questions. I want to say a few other things and then we're going to respond together as a church. Um, I want to ask what it looks like for you to go all in. Um, I, I, I think it could be clear to us, hopefully, that that we're being called to go all in, that, that we're being called to mimic the actions of the crowd that stepped up and stepped in and went all in with what they had, and God can do the rest. So I want to ask you, as, as we get, get a couple of minutes here as we close to, to sing and to, to receive communion and to pray, I want you to be asking this question is, what does it look like for me to go all in? This is what I'm asking. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm not asking. 
I'm not asking for anyone to make some kind of radical move in your life unless you absolutely believe that God is calling you to, for example, sell your home and move to Africa or to Haiti. But if God's calling you to do that, then do it. But this is what I know. And this is what you know too, if we're honest. Is that we know as people, we know when we're holding back. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> as, as humans, as people with, with, with consciousness, we know when we're holding back. And we might not ever be in a position where we know how much to give, but we know when we're holding back. So what are you holding back? We know when God is asking for more. We know when we can offer more than what we are currently offering. So, church, we've got to think big on this one. We've got to think big because it's not just about what this church does on Sunday mornings, and it's not just about the events that we hold here once in a while, like the block party and trunk or treat and things like that. It's, it's not just about going all in with what we have so that this can be pulled off. Even more so than that, what it's about is, are you going all in when you go to the store and when you interact with strangers? And are you going all in with when you're interacting with coworkers or neighbors or the people that live on your street, people that you interact with on a daily basis, whether it's every day you see the same people, whether it's people you haven't seen before? Are you going all in when you're not here? Is there something you're holding back when you walk into work? Is there, is there something you're holding back when you, you walk into that place that you walk into all the time? whether it might be your house. Are you going all in there? So, a moment of response. I'd like to invite our, our worship team back up. They're going to lead us in a song, and in just a moment as they sing, we're going to receive communion together. And I, I want to talk about this moment of response for just a minute. We believe that a couple of things can happen in this moment of response. It's easy to look at the things that we do, but we got to know what we believe can be done as well. So what we do is we have a moment of prayer if we would like to. Some people kneel at the altar. Some people pray in their chairs. Either way. And, and then we sing, and then we receive communion, which on the surface practically looks like taking a piece of bread, dipping it in the cup, and eating it. But I want to speak to the symbolism here. I want to speak to what we believe about the, the symbolism of the bread and the juice. We believe that this represents what Jesus has done for us. That being, his body breaking for us, the bread, and, and his blood being poured out for us. We use the juice to remember that. And the reason that we take the bread and the juice is to remember what is made possible for us because he did that. We talked about, that's the very first thing I talked about when we jumped into our sermon. So we believe that this new way of life is made possible because of this. And we believe that this new way of thinking, this new way of living is made possible because of what Jesus has done. So the first thing we do in this moment of response is we remember. 
We remember what Jesus did on the cross almost 2,000 years ago, his body being broken, his blood being poured out, him leaving the tomb, being raised from the dead, and ascending to heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, filling himself in all the places and spaces of this planet Earth so that he can reign, so that he does reign. The, the other thing that we believe to be true about this moment of response is that it's a time where we can be transformed. I believe that by his spirit, Jesus has been with us. And I believe the things that you are thinking right now, the, the, the decision that you feel like God is asking you to make, the thing that you're thinking about right now, I believe that God put that thought there. I believe that that's the Holy Spirit putting those thoughts there for you. It's not just you thinking of something. I believe that his presence allows that to take place. And what we believe about this moment of response is also that it is a moment of response. If there is something that you feel like God is calling you to do, this is a moment where you can pray. This is a moment where you can talk to someone, if that's what you need to do, and respond. Hear clearly what he is saying. Believe that he is here. Believe that he is with you, empowering you to do what he is asking you to do and say, you know what? I'm going to do it. Things like, talk to that neighbor I haven't talked to yet. Things like, speaking this way to that coworker that I haven't before. Things like, starting to do this, or things like, I need to stop doing this. This is my favorite one. And we read about it in scripture, and I think that means we need to talk about it more, is, is do you need to apologize to someone? That's a huge one. I don't think we talk about that enough. Or do you need to forgive someone who's apologized to you? So whatever your response is, I would encourage you to do so. So would you stand with me? Father God, I ask that as we receive communion, as we remember, as we allow our lives to be transformed, and as we respond, that you would be faithful in this moment, that you would speak to us and give us the ears to hear what you are saying. Lord, we thank you for what you did on the cross. We thank you for defeating death and what that means for us, but we also thank you for what you did yesterday. <laughs> we thank you for what you did last week, last month, last year, 10 years ago. We thank you for what you've done. So Lord, as you speak to us, give us the ears to hear, the courage to be obedient in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. As you are ready, you are welcome to come and receive God has for you today.